For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It is Monday, November 6th. Why do you subscribe to a streaming service? Once you're subscribed, why do you keep the service? Those sound like pretty simple questions. There's a lot of people whose jobs are to try to figure out the answers. If you think about it, actually, those are the fundamental questions, maybe even the only questions that matter in the streaming business. Is this piece of content going to make people more likely to subscribe or less likely to churn out? There are no easy answers, and Netflix, by far the biggest winner so far in the streaming wars, is getting super aggressive at a time when some of the others are struggling and more willing to sell them A-level content. Starting December 1st, about 12 of the recent DC movies from Warner Brothers will drop on Netflix. Man of Steel, The Batman, Black Adam. Great move by Netflix. Those movies have built-in audiences, young people, just the kind they're trying to win over with the password-sharing crackdown. And on the Warner side, they're just trying to extract as much money from these titles as possible. Warner Discovery has tens of billions of dollars in debt to pay down. Stock prices languished. Plus, it has argued, thanks to the data, it has a pretty good idea of which content is driving subscriptions on Macs and preventing churn, which isn't. For the most part, very few titles drive most of the activity on all these streaming services. Bloomberg published some data on that front as well. A London firm called Digital Eye did a study, and less than 5% of the originals on Netflix in the U.S. were watched by more than 20% of the users. That means a lot of content on Netflix is not being watched by very many people. So it's probably more valuable if you can sell it to someone else. Netflix so far has refused to do that, but the others have. Max is particularly aggressive. It's like trade value. Should companies like Warner Discovery be sending its A-list movies to Netflix? It's like a basketball team trading its best player to a division rival. And Netflix is using this stuff to pull away from everyone else. So today we've got Lucas Shaw back in here, and we're talking about this stage of the streaming wars and why maybe everyone shouldn't be selling everything to Netflix. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Welcome back, Lucas. Great to be here. You have you survived Miami. You survived South Carolina. Survived? I thrived in South Carolina. I ate my way through South Carolina. Steak every night. Uh, all right, so we've talked on this show. Last week, we did a whole episode on how Netflix is pulling away from the other streaming services. There was a period of doubt where you, I, many others thought Netflix might be kind of screwed after the correction, but they figured it out. The subscriber numbers are growing. The service is profitable. 
They seem to be in the process of figuring out the ad tier, although there are questions about that. One thing we didn't address last week is the rest of the streaming universe, how these other streaming services are supposed to deal with Netflix as it grows its moat, so to speak, around their dominance in this one area of the business. And I want to talk about that today because we got some data points this past week. One was the news that Netflix has licensed about 12 of the most recent DC movies. Everything from Man of Steel to the Batman to the Snyderverse stuff, Black Adam, everything up to the end of 2022, minus Aquaman and Joker, is going to be on Netflix on December 1st. And that's part of the larger strategy that Warner Discovery has employed. They need to make money. They are crushed by this debt that they're carrying. So they're licensing off content. Netflix, very happy to pick up this stuff. And they're essentially positioning themselves as not just the home of Netflix great content, but the home of everybody else's great content, too. So the question on that is, should Warner Discovery be licensing out its premium IP, the one thing that they advertised heavily when they launched HBO Max, we are the home of the DC universe, should they be licensing that out to others and specifically to Netflix? the 800-pound gorilla of the streaming universe. First off, it's a complete kind of reversion to the world before all these companies went in on streaming where they were licensing to Netflix and allowing Netflix to build an audience with their shows. Yeah, the nuclear weapon quote that Bob Iger said. You know, we're giving them nuclear weapons to use on us. They stopped and are now doing it again. But specific to the DC, and then this came up a little bit with some of the HBO titles that Warner Brothers Discovery licensed, my understanding, just based on conversations with a lot of top executives at that company, at Warner Brothers Discovery, when they decided to start licensing again, was they were not going to license sort of the, the crown jewels, the core titles, right? So this, and this meant, you know, we're not going to give someone else Game of Thrones, we're not going to give someone else Succession, we're not, all these things. DC movies are real, I would have assumed, were sort of in that category. They have a very loyal following. They're among the most popular titles this company has released. I get that they're starting a new DC strategy, but it doesn't feel like something you want to get rid of. I mean, to your point, DC, Harry Potter, HBO, and maybe like Friends and like some of the cartoon stuff was sort of the foundational pitch for yeah. Max, or at least for HBO Max. Art rest yeah, and they've licensed out Harry Potter as well. They've done that. And, and it just goes against what we were told was the differentiator amongst these services. And I know they need to make money. And if you talk to people at Warner Discovery, they will tell you openly that the strategy of the past five years was flawed. It doesn't make any sense to warehouse this content on a streaming service when it could be making you money elsewhere. And the history of the TV business is such that content floats around. You license it here. You put it there. You put it on your own platforms. You put it on platforms that will pay you a lot of money. And that's how you ultimately make this very expensive content make financial sense. But having said that, these are premium movies. Now, they're not the 2023 movies. They're not putting the first run of Flash or the first run of Shazam 2 on Netflix. But they're pretty recent. I mean, the Batman is going to be a huge driver 
for Netflix when it comes out there because it made a lot of money in the box office. It also was sort of quasi during the COVID era where some people probably didn't see it in a theater because they were still afraid. And it's freaking Batman. The two A-list superheroes are Spider-Man and Batman. And Netflix now has the Spider-Verse movie because of its output deal with Sony. And it's going to have the Batman on the service, especially since they've got the Zack Snyder movie coming out around at the end of December. The Rebel Moon movie is supposed to be Zack Snyder's big like franchise play at Netflix. They're now going to be able to serve up all these other DC movies to the subscribers. And it's going to just the engagement numbers are going to be huge. I wonder if there's a way, and I'm sure that they, all these folks have thought about it, talked about it, but to do it on a more limited basis where it is like benefits Netflix, but also promotional for you. Like you have a new Batman project coming out. And so you license the Batman to Netflix for six months ahead well, of Well, that's it. the weird thing. They're not doing it with Aquaman. Aquaman's being held back. So the promotional which is value... The opposite, which is the opposite of what you should do. If you want to try to expose a character and get people excited, you let people watch the previous Aquaman to get on Netflix. Of course. To get, yeah. Netflix will do this where they'll they'll see a movie is coming out and they'll get a Mission Impossible or they'll get whatever because they know that the promotion around the sequel is going to drive people to the previous installments. But it's weird that Warner wouldn't do that with the first Aquaman movie. Now, if you talk to them also, they say that this is all being informed by the data. We don't see the data. They do see it. And their data is showing that only a very small number of titles are driving the viewership on these services. So we might think that the DC titles are huge drivers. They may see the numbers and it doesn't actually play out that way. I don't know that. And they're not, they haven't revealed that, but their actions do speak pretty loud if they're willing to license this stuff out or they just need money right now. And on that point of small number of titles generating huge numbers, you put out some data from a British company this weekend that looked at the share of Netflix subscribers that watched individual shows or movies. And the numbers were pretty interesting to me. 5% of the original programs on Netflix last year would have qualified for the bonus under the new Writers Guild Agreement, meaning 20% of a service's subscribers have watched the content. So less than 5% of the originals on Netflix are generating viewership numbers of 20% of subscribers or more. That's not a lot. Now, the thing to keep in mind with that, not to undercut my own, my own newsletter, <laughs> is the research does include all these titles. So it includes documentaries, stand-up, documentary series, all these things that were not covered by the, the Writers Guild. So if you look at the number of like scripted series, the percentage is higher. But the point remains that the number of mega hits is still pretty small. And the top 10 or 15 shows on a service drives a lot of the viewership. Now, Netflix's viewership, I would actually say, is more spread out than most. Like you talk to, to the folks at Warner Brothers Discovery who we were just talking about. And I think David Zaslav, the CEO, has said things like, you know, the top 10 titles drive like 95% of viewership. I right. forget what the data point he drops yeah. trots out. On Netflix, I think that number is more like 20 or 25%. It's not as concentrated. But what you still see is that there are like, 50 to 100 titles that really matter from an original perspective and everything else is just sort of there. Even like Drive to Survive seems like this big cultural touchstone has definitely had an impact. I, I, if I remember from the data, like 
at least in the U.S., less than 5% of Netflix viewers have watched that show. Right. Let's look at some of the titles here. The number one show on Netflix, according to share of viewers who have watched it, is a movie, You People, the Kenya Barris movie with Jonah Hill and Eddie Murphy. In the U.S. In the U.S. Because Extraction 2, which is like number nine, mm -hmm. definitely beat it globally. So 44% of Netflix subscribers watched You People. That's a lot. That's, you know, yeah, that's a big hit. <laughs> Murder Mystery 2 is the second biggest at 39%. The Mother, that was the J-Lo movie, 36%. The Night Agent, that's the first show on there. It's interesting the top three are movies since we crap on Netflix movies all the time. The Night Agent was at 35%. Murdoch Murders, a Southern Scandal, my favorite show, 31%. And then it goes down from there. Ginny in Georgia, We Have a Ghost, Extraction 2, Your Place or Mine, That 90s Show. Oof, That 90s Show. Was that because of, uh, what's his name? Danny, Danny Masterson? Masterson? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not either. But that's interesting because it's a wide variety of content. It's not that it's not all movies. It's not all young people stuff. It's just... Things that caught the Netflix algorithm and people watched. And you have, there are a bunch of shows that I thought were pretty big hits for them that didn't hit the threshold. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not successful. Netflix has ordered subsequent seasons, but Never Have I Ever, something that they've had multiple seasons of was just below the threshold. Fubar, the Arnold Schwarzenegger show, didn't hit it. And sex Life. Sex, Craig's, Craig's sex favorite. Life. Yeah. Yeah, that was only 7.86% share of viewers. And the, the, the thing is to remember is if that small a share of, of the people are watching it on Netflix, the audience for shows on Max and Peacock and Paramount Plus and Disney Plus is even smaller. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. And that gets to the overall question we want to talk about, which is if only a few titles are driving subscribers and preventing churn, what should these companies be doing with the rest of the titles? Should they be hoarding them on their service or should they be licensing them out to potentially get a new lease on life and raise some money and get the IP in front of people elsewhere? 
But who are you going to license them to other than Netflix? If you're Disney, are you going to convince Comcast to take some of your library product? Sure. Why not? If it's a hit show and they see value in it, Comcast took the Harry Potter movies for Peacock. Like, they found value in that. And yeah, that was that's on one Max. of the most popular movie franchises ever. Sure, but there are others that you could pick and choose. I mean, this is a version of the television business, right? There have been services like FX and TNT and AMC and all these other channels that over the history of the TV business have picked up movies here and there. They do library deals. I used to work on some of these deals where there would be disputes over the value of specific movies because there would be three <laughs> movies of huge value in a license deal for a library. And the licensing company would attribute the same value to every movie. And then the participants would come back and be like, wait a second, you valued my movie the same as Police Academy 5? Like, no, no, no. My movie is worth more. So, like, they do this. They see value in the libraries. And for the most part, I think it makes financial sense to license these things out. Where I differ and where I think that Warner Discovery is making a mistake is when they keep fueling one specific buyer, and that's Netflix. But I think part of that is because Netflix is the most willing to buy. They're willing sure, to and for the highest price. All these other places are less willing to spend a bunch of money. So what do yeah, you if you're going to choose? That's a downward spiral. That is a that is a recipe for downward spiral, self fulfilling prophecy, whatever you want to call it. Where if Netflix is the only outlet that's willing to pay uh, the the premium price for this stuff, and they keep licensing it to Netflix, they're going to keep getting more subscribers, keep getting more money, keep being willing to outbid everyone. And next thing you know, we're going to wake up in three or four years and it's going to be Netflix at 500 million subscribers and everybody else has a niche service that is basically a farm team for Netflix. So you would like them to license just not all to Netflix? Yes. For most of the content. I don't know about DC. I think the brand dilution that is going on right now at Max, I think is pretty significant. They are willing to sell the furniture from the room to whoever will buy it. And putting the DC movies on Netflix is brand confusion for subscribers. They're essentially telling all of these. Well, what do you what do you think causes what causes more brand confusion? Putting HBO shows and DC movies on Netflix or putting discovery shows alongside HBO shows? Well, but at least you're reaping the value of that brand confusion. You're trying to change the brand of the Discovery shows to be more elevated. And you're trying to change the brand of HBO to be more populous by putting all this stuff together. When you license to Netflix, the only brand you're helping is Netflix. Yes, obviously, these are non-exclusive licenses. So people still can find the DC universe on Max. But the fact of the matter is, is by propping up Netflix in this way, you are creating the impression and boosting the brand of Netflix to the point where the consumer is increasingly thinking that everything is going to be on Netflix at some point. And if you just wait a little bit, oh, yeah, 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 I, I could subscribe to Max for the Batman. But you know what? It's going to be on Netflix. Everything's on Netflix. And that is the real danger here. And I think that just as Hollywood did this in the early 2010s, they are walking off a plank here by propping up Netflix. I mean, Netflix lucked out here that Warner Discovery is under such crushing debt from this AT&T debacle. Warner's has to do this. They're not really thinking about the long-term brand viability of the Max service. And Netflix is taking advantage of that. They are thinking long-term and they're thinking of growing their subscribers. And this is the other companies helping them. 
every company is in this position right now. This is the debate we've had over how, how much of this does Netflix get credit for and how much of this is just sort of good fortune, where there was a moment in time where the average viewer thought that everything was on Netflix. And a lot of people still feel that way, even though you know those in the know realize it's not true because rights are more fragmented. But we're sort of tilting back to that because all of these companies are under a tremendous amount of pressure from the decline of TV. And if they need to get money, what do they do? They license. You and I both have talked about and agree that there should be a syndication market that companies should license. And also, how much do you cut costs elsewhere, right? A lot of these companies ultimately face an existential crisis. Are they going to compete with Netflix in the future of TV and entertainment? Or are they just going to become kind of studios that sell? And if you're just a studio that sells, you have to cut back on your resources a dramatic amount. And right now, they're all trying to play this balancing act because they don't feel like they can invest to the degree that they need to to compete with with Netflix. Even Disney, which by most measurements is still way bigger than Netflix. is Yeah, that's is the having- crazy thing. We talk about Netflix pulling away and streaming. But overall the numbers favor Disney when it comes to actual eyeballs watching professionally produced content. Yeah, I mean, Hulu and Disney Plus combined is like 5 or 6% of TV viewership. Netflix is about 8. Then you factor in ESPN, FX, ABC, all these things. Disney probably accounts for 12 or 15% of TV viewership and for all of its problems, I think is still the highest grossing movie studio. Yeah, Netflix is not in that business. But Netflix is not about to have to pay Comcast 9 to $15 billion. Right. And Netflix doesn't have to deal with the declining television economics and bringing in an investor to help pay for sports rights on ESPN to salvage that brand for the streaming universe. I think they eventually will get into sports, but at least for now, they're watching everybody else deal with that decline. And they're just saying, okay, if you have to pay billions of dollars in sports rights and bring in Apple or Amazon to help you do that, why don't you just uh, send over some of your Marvel shows <laughs> and we will premiere them on Netflix. We'll pay you a shit ton of money that will help fund that. And then the first window will be on Netflix and then you can have the Marvel show forever. There are some analysts that Rich Greenfield has advocated for this to just put it all on Netflix first, have it get a global audience, have everyone enjoy it there. And then you create the brand value that then accrues to your own service when you put it on there after. I think that's probably not what Bob Iger is thinking of doing with the premium shows like the Marvel and Star Wars shows that cost $20 million an episode to produce. But it's interesting to think about. All these other companies are also giving Netflix a bit of a lifeline for next year. They'll have all this library stuff that people want to watch at the very moment that it won't have as much of its own original programming. From the strike, you mean? Yeah. Netflix will see an impact on its releases from the strikes. But if it's got all these DC movies, and if it's got a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of Paramount library titles and all these other things that it can offer people, maybe it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, maybe they license Andor because that didn't have a huge audience on Disney Plus. It was a little too sophisticated for that typical Star Wars young person audience. And I think it would do insane numbers on Netflix. I still think for all of the different levers that Bob Iger is trying to pull over at Disney, that that is one he would not. He will not license. It's just Marvel, embarrassing, right? Marvel and Star Wars titles to Netflix. I just don't see it. It, it. I mean, it would go against everything he has said over the past five years about this. You know, we don't want to send nuclear arms to the people that use it against us. It would be a, a crazy admission that Netflix has reached scale while Disney Plus has not. 
And it would be, I think, you know, short-term money for long-term brand damage. And Iger does care about that. I don't think David Zasloff at Warner Discovery cares much about that. He's, you know, trying to keep the boat afloat. But Iger does care. I also, I mean, Disney, though it doesn't have nearly the scale of Netflix in streaming, its big titles do still generate a lot of eyeballs. You know, it's it's movies when they come to Disney Plus rank among the most watched movies. Oh, Some you of don't those tell me that Elemental <laughs> five times and counting now. Mandalorian, though its audience isn't what it was, still a huge show. They have those titles that break through, and so I don't I don't know that they need to. Although they are sitting on that Fox TV library. And they've licensed some of it out, and they could probably license a lot more of it out. Yeah, exactly. And maybe some of these Hulu originals, you know, the value of some of the stuff that comes from FX on Netflix would be pretty big. It's just a matter of how much, first of all, it's a matter of how desperate they are. If it gets really bad at Disney, if the stock, you know, is is hurting and they feel like they can get a couple hundred million dollars out of licensing some of these big titles, I think Netflix, I think Amazon would also be interested in some of that stuff. I and mean, that's the thing is I, I wrote about this in my newsletter on Sunday and I got some people responding to me saying, you know, who else is going to pay for this stuff? It's like what you mentioned. And I think Amazon would. Amazon would pay for this stuff. They've got the money. They need to juice subscribers. They're moving everybody over to their ad tier and they want eyeballs. And when you put some of this high profile content on the service, you can get eyeballs pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't see why Amazon wouldn't other than it's already distributing so much of this programming via its channels program and other areas. It doesn't need to pack as much of it in or to, to pay for it. Right. Meaning you go and you see these shows on, like someone said to me last night. You oh, can watch the- Max on right. Amazon already. So Amazon would rather just be the company selling you Max yeah. than having to But you have to pay, pay for it. That's, a, that's the annoying thing with Amazon. Like when you click on stuff, it's like a crapshoot. Sometimes it's available within Prime. Sometimes it's another service you have to pay for. Sometimes it's not on any service and you have to pay three bucks to rent it. Yeah, most of the time it is not available on Prime. But I, if, if it's a movie I really want to watch, $3 to rent it seems perfectly reasonable. Oh, you're suckered in by that. <laughs> they get you. As a matter of principle, I will not do that. Sometimes I'll even go over to Apple and buy it on Apple just because I'm so annoyed that Amazon baited and switched me on presenting it as part of Prime and then telling me I had to pay. Mm, that seems foolish to me. I'm more but... principled than you are. <laughs> Do you think David Zaslav at Warner Discovery would put friends back on Netflix? Is there a check big enough for him to do that? I have been told multiple times that he will not. So I'm sticking with no, but it's also, know, man. it's also consistently one of the like 10 or 20 most watched shows on streaming. Could do it non-exclusive. They could put certain seasons there. They could do a package where, you know, it's all the Matthew Perry episodes or whatever. You know, they could do something that would get them a big check while keeping the full library on Max. Sure, they could. I mean, Paramount does that a lot where they'll like license a few seasons, but then keep the rest so that if people want to keep going, it's like a bridge to their service. Yeah, Suits. The last season of Suits is only on Peacock. I didn't realize that. Yeah, the last season of Suits, it's like the drug. They keep they keep you all drugged up on suits and then if you want your fix at the end you got to go to peacock (laughs) yeah i mean i guess max could do that with friends where they sell netflix seasons one through four and the rest go to go to max but yeah all right we will see thank you lucas thanks Matt. all right we're back with the call sheet craig are you sad that john stewart's 
Apple TV Plus show is no longer moving forward for season three? Look, I, I like Jon Stewart, and I, I found that his show existed to have little breakouts on TikTok and Twitter that I would watch. Yeah, season two did have that interview he did with the gun advocate yeah. that went mm-hmm. viral. And I had heard that, you know, the audience was growing. Season one didn't do much. Season two did more. And then Apple just scrapped season three, basically, because they were afraid that he was going to start talking about China and the election and the politics of it all, which is kind of funny because why do you hire Jon Stewart in the first place if you are Apple and you're terrified of anything that might impact your hardware business in China? If he's looking for a home, why doesn't he just go back to The Daily Show? Oh, you can't go back. I why? Mean, that's not, because that's, first of all, the climate has changed and trying to recreate that would be difficult. Also, he walked away from that at the height. It was one of the all-time mic drops. He put that show on the map in terms of relevance to the news cycle and to, I mean, it's it's hard to explain how much influence Jon Stewart had in the 2000s, early 2010s with the actual political news cycle. And it's not going to be that now because the media landscape is just different. And I don't think he would ever want to. But my prediction is that Jon Stewart will be back for the 2024 election cycle. Uh, I've heard some rumblings that his team is out there looking for a new home. And I think he will land somewhere else. The question is where? Because obviously, Apple's out for the geopolitical stuff. Amazon is probably out for the same reason, even though Amazon has been trying to bolster its comedy roster lately. I think probably Netflix is the answer for Jon Stewart, to be honest. I mean, Ted Sarandos loves comedy, loves Jon Stewart, and they've tried several times to come up with a version of a late night show. Hasn't ever worked. But Jon Stewart is that talent that I think he could probably bring some buzz and and make a show that at least would get awards attention for Netflix. And they do stuff sometimes just to get awards attention. I really think if, if, if Netflix had its own Last Week Tonight with Jon Stewart, I think that would do really well. You would think so, but it has not worked on Netflix to date. The thing that's crazy about Jon Oliver is that he manages to be topical and evergreen, which is the sweet spot for late night on streaming. It can't just be the five night a week jokes from the news of the day. That doesn't seem to work on streaming because... People don't watch that way. They don't tune in at a certain time. John Oliver does the news of the week, and it's huge on Max. And more importantly, it brings his fans back into the Max app once a week to see the show. Same with Bill Maher. Is the question just whether or not Netflix wants to get political? And if this is even... Oh, no, no. Netflix doesn't have a problem with that. I mean, this is the home of Dave Chappelle. I mean, Ted Sarandos had to essentially stand up to his own employees after. Dave Chappelle got him in hot water over the trans comments. And they've shown over and over that they're willing to do that. And honestly, like the Jon Stewart politics are more, they're not going to be controversial internally. It would be more whether it would impact Netflix's business elsewhere. And I don't think so. I I don't think Jon Stewart would ever go to a Disney outlet like Hulu or Disney Plus, obviously not there. But I think Netflix is the place for him. Stewart is one of those guys in media who goes viral for like kind of like owning 
people on camera, like there'll be like these two minute clips of Jon Stewart going in on people and it goes viral on TikTok and it's always him going after somebody and questioning them and they can't really respond. And I mean, I, I, there's not really anyone else right now who's doing that. But that was his hallmark on The Daily Show. There's that infamous clip of him with Tucker Carlson where they were on Crossfire together and he sort of owned him on that. But Netflix, I think, is the perfect place for him. So we'll see. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw, producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will talk to you later this week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.